ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the next episode of my Safe Bet Show. And it's a true privilege, great honor, and mm -hmm. it will be the ultimate pleasure of having Dr. Bo Bernard on the show. Bo, thanks for being with us today. Welcome. Thank you. Looking forward to this conversation. I always look forward to our conversations, Martin. This will be a fun one. You're, as always, way too kind. But indeed, <laughs> let's try to deliver to that initial let's promise and best. make it a fine one. I truly believe that Bo Bernard doesn't require any introduction at all. A true research superstar currently among his many roles and capacities, the executive director of UNLV's great International Gaming Institute, and also, I think that's a big role, isn't it? And we'll come on to talking about it. Vice President of Economic Development at UNLV. Let me start, Bo, if I may, by talking about the fact that you happen to be a fifth generation Nevadan, a very proud Laswegian, yeah. as long as that word even exists. And I reckon when someone says Nevada, most people think Vegas and Vegas only. And just to kick that off, while I was assembling furniture this weekend, because we moved to a new place in the Garden State, yes, Mr. Yes. Bernard here was having a great quality time with the ultimate hockey grail, namely the Stanley Cup. So this is the caliber of the man we're talking here. But <laughs> going back to my question about Nevada, there's clearly much more to the Silver State. So imagine you had a travel agency and you could take our friends, the audience of this podcast, to any place in Nevada outside of Las Vegas? Where would that be? Where would you take them? Yeah, wonderful question. Uh, Nevada is a massive, massive state with two major urban areas, the Reno-Tahoe area and the Las Vegas area. So outside of Las Vegas, it would have to be Tahoe. Uh, each year, we have our executive development program with 60 future CEOs. Uh, all coming up to Lake Tahoe, and it is a site. So I always remember there's a Mark Twain quote that never have human eyes set themselves upon a fairer site than Lake Tahoe. And before I had been there, I thought, well, that's probably just a little bit of exaggeration from our friend Mark Twain. And then you pull over that mountain and you look over to this pristine, almost fluorescent blue in the midst of this gorgeous, gorgeous forest, and you think, all right, Twain, you might have had a point there, buddy. That's, uh, that's a fair point. It's, it's, it's just a gorgeous, gorgeous sight. So, yes, uh, to all of our friends listening in, when you come visit, we'll take you up to Lake Tahoe. And certainly the best time of the year to come is November when we're doing our executive development program uh, for folks all around the gaming world. Absolutely. We shall look forward to that. And who would disagree with Mark Twain, let alone <laughs> Tom Sawyer or Huckleberry Finn? Bringing it back to Las Vegas, if I may, though... Being a proud Laswegian, as I've called you, <laughs> would you share a few thoughts as to how the Vegas Strip changed during your lifetime? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think the major change, and uh, it's back in the news because there was a recent purchase of, uh, of it, was the Mirage opening in 1989. Prior to that, it was a gambling street and pretty much a gambling street only with a handful of shows and washed up entertainers and bad food choices. Uh, now it is generating revenue and innovation from virtually every corner of these massive buildings, which today constitute the most expensive buildings in the world. 
So, you know, this is fascinating to me as an academic because for many years, the most expensive building in the world was a little something called the pyramids. Uh, And then for many, many years, in fact, most of human history, it's been cathedrals, right, Uh, of a variety of stripes and all over the world, temples uh, and, and basically dedicated to religion. Now, uh, as we enter uh, 2022, the most expensive buildings that humans have created on Earth are the buildings on Las Vegas Boulevard. Uh, and they're massively complex buildings now. And, uh, and I think leadership has changed significantly as well. Whereas before, you really could be a CEO of one of those buildings by just being a gaming person. Um, now you have to be somebody who's really good, not just at casinos, but at nightclubs and at retail shopping, high-end shopping, uh, at day clubs and swimming pools and hotels and food and beverage, right? And so it really requires a different and I would say more complex series of leadership traits uh, to operate compared to certainly when I was growing up. If Nevada ever needs lobbyists, ladies and gentlemen, here's the <laughs> prime candidate for that role. Because you have traveled the world and you German, haven't spent yeah. your whole life in your beloved state of Nevada. You actually happen to have done your double major in psychology and sociology at Harvard, having right. been a leader both in the classroom and, of course, on the fields of the sporting glory. So, would you mind telling me, me being arguably one of the biggest New England Patriots fans out there, <laughs> a little more about your student years in yeah. New England, and even more importantly, what foundations they gave you for your future splendid career? It, it gave me everything, right? I think all of us can look back to a brilliant teacher who made a difference, And my combination of, you know, a very intense academic environment on one side of the Charles River and then on the other side of the Charles River were all the sporting fields. Uh, You know, it was it was quite the contrast day by day. I loved making my way over to the sports fields simply because it was a release right from all the intensity. Uh, But I had one professor that really laid the foundation to answer your question. Uh, And he actually took an interest in me and came to one of my games And, you know, like a lot of games, they announce a starting lineup and they announce your hometown. And they said from Las Vegas, Nevada, starting in defensive midfield, because I was a destroyer of all things beautiful in soccer, football. That was my job. I was not one of the skilled types. Uh, And I ran out onto the field and, you know, they had announced that I was from Las Vegas. And my professor came up to me afterwards and he said, that's really interesting that you grew up in the bright lights of Las Vegas. And I said, yeah, it was pretty normal. And he said, well, you should write your paper for my class on that, on what that was like. What were the impacts of gambling on your life? And I said, oh, that's actually really interesting because I've been telling that story to my roommates and to my teammates. But to do it in a formal research way was a different assignment. Well, that paper soon became an undergraduate double major uh, magna cum laude uh, honors thesis that spanned sociology and psychology, looking at everything from the molecular levels of the brain all the way out to the global levels of international economies and the impacts on, for example, GDPs uh, when you bring a casino into a place like Singapore. And I'll, I'll be honest, Martin, I'm still trying to answer that same question, right? What's it like, right, to be in the vicinity of this gambling thing as a resident, as a citizen? I'm not one of those academics that believes I have all the answers. I think if you're a truly good academic, 
you recognize that the best part about it is that you don't know the answers often uh, to the questions that really, really intrigue you, uh, but that you get to pursue them and you get to pursue them with a passion and in my case with a team like, like you that I really enjoy. Thanks for that. The industry should be truly grateful that you have not chosen soccer career <laughs> over a research career. Well, it wasn't I reckon enough. It wasn't exactly a choice. If, if <laughs> the likes of Fabio Cannavaro could yeah. have won the Ballon d'Or, you would have been next in, in that particular I line. Was, uh, I was no Thomas Rosicki to, uh, or Pavel Nedved to invoke an appropriate uh, metaphor. <laughs> well, all these teams, indeed, but well, all these teams besides these fancy Nimba players, they do need their defensive midfielders, those juggernaut destroyers, because otherwise they wouldn't have made a great team. Sorry, just to beat the metaphor to death uh, from, from the Czech Republic, I allowed the little Mozarts that were Thomas Rosicki's to be Mozart. <laughs> well, and to pay a compliment back, you, you're, you're a true Mozart of the research <laughs> arena, gambling research arena, and that's where I would like to go next, if I may. One of the reasons why we should be so, or why we are privileged and so truly honored to have Bo on this show, is the fact that if I were to spell out all his academic achievements, then uh, we will definitely, we would definitely run out of time on the podcast and we'd probably be able to fill out the next four episodes with those. And he's used to talk in the fog such as ESPN, he was profiled there, NBC, CBS, you name them. That's why it's so amazing that you've agreed to come in on our little show. <laughs> so with bearing that in mind and with that background spelled out, albeit very briefly, you started talking about your research that has truly molded this industry. We worked on a few pieces together and hopefully with our nascent center of responsible gambling excellence at UNLV, we will get to work even closer further down the track. But what if the key method to your, if you will, to use unstaining language, to, to the research madness that you've been deploying for all those years, and how come it's been so extraordinarily successful? Well, that's very kind of you. Uh, that's a number of kind things you've said. I, uh, I, I would say that uh, to cite one example, and without getting into the findings itself, the project that was the NFL's arrival in Las Vegas was a very complex series of questions. The NFL had questions on everything from crime to community and all points in between, problem gambling being just one relatively small one. And there was a whole list of questions. And here is the thing that I say when our team tackles this, things like this. Uh, I say, I don't know the answer but I know the methodology, to your point. And that methodology is to get a whole bunch of really smart, diversely educated people around one table and to go after it together. And so methodologically speaking, I think, you know, if I were a classic scientist at this point, I would say things like clearly there are quantitative and qualitative methodological approaches that are important. But more important than those are, of course, the scientists, the thinkers that you bring to the table. So I don't think I'm the one that has the answers very often, but I think I've been pretty decent at putting together teams 
which once more stems from, as it does with you as well, a childhood playing on teams, right? So it just felt natural. And that's certainly what we've built at UNLV's International Gaming Institute is a team of over 50 differently educated, diverse, backgrounded individuals who bring tremendous, I would call it, cognitive diversity, filling in the gaps of knowledge of the others on the team in a way that leads to a comprehensive whole. As you can tell, dear listeners, this is a true academic interview, which I'm very appreciative of because we've been using a lot of Latin expressions. So that's one of those signs. I will give Bo an opportunity to do two things at, at this stage, if he doesn't mind. First of all, you talk about your team. I've had the pleasure of working with a number, or perhaps all bit, a small number of them, and they're all great. So feel free to give any of them a shout out on the show. Perhaps those who may not get it that regularly out in the public. And if I may, the other question I will have, because we're yet to talk about your flagship Raiders project, not only because we're both huge football as in American football, mm -hmm. football fans. Are there any other projects that you would like to mm. highlight at this stage that brought you a particular pleasure when you worked on them? You know, that's a, that's a really cool question. I, I think the one that brought the most pleasure was in fact going into our shared favorite background of Boston. Now, again, keep in mind, I was playing soccer and baseball uh, at Harvard uh, in stadiums uh, right in the heart of the city. And at that point, when I was doing this in the early 90s, the idea that there would be a casino in Boston was absolutely absurd. The idea that something that looked just like my backyard in Las Vegas would appear in Boston's backyard was just absurd. Uh, because Boston is both both exceedingly liberal and exceedingly conservative, as we know, right, uh, in a lot of different ways. And, and it just wasn't something that was at all on the horizon. Fast forward to a few years ago when I was invited to help answer all of the questions that the Boston area had. And each neighboring community around what became Encore Boston Harbor uh, had their own kinds of questions. Um, you know, Cambridge, of course, was very interested in sort of the academic impacts, but Charlestown and Chelsea were very interested as towns neighboring the casino. What were going to be the impacts on crime in those areas? Somerville was interested in the impacts on real estate values. Others were, of course, very interested in just the impacts on education. Well, these were the questions I'd been trying to answer since I'd been running on the grass right across the river, right, a couple of decades before. So there was a year in my life where I was flying back home to Boston uh, pretty much monthly to participate in the conversations. And th that's what they were. I was there as an academic. There were some times where the fears were very unfounded and frankly grounded in movies more than the reality. And there were other times where their fears were legitimate. And that's my job as an academic to say, yes, these are the fears that are real and that we should prepare for and that the literature suggests, literature suggests is real. And these are the ones that we probably don't have to worry about, uh, you know, despite all that we've seen in movies. So that was probably the, the coolest one outside of that uh, Raiders project. Indeed, a very invaluable piece of research, not only because it relates to everyone's favorite city, Boston, <laughs> Massachusetts. I suppose it would be, if I may use your own phrase, absurd, even <laughs> four or five years ago, to have thought about yes. legalized sports betting in the United States. Fast forward literally a couple of years, the 14th of May 2018, 
a day that I suppose I might have overused on these shows, but it's been so seminal and critical to a lot of things that I discuss with my guests. But so with the audience's permission, let me remind you all of the date, the 14th of May 2018, the decision of the United States Supreme Court that paved the way for legalization of sports betting. Because as it's very clear and well would have been clear even before we kicked this podcast off, you're one of the top dogs at UNLV, if I may put it that way, and the top dog at the International Gaming Institute. So in those capacities, but also in your private capacity, what is your take? on the U.S. sports betting bonanza of late, and in a similar vein, what's your take on all those adverts that we've been exposed to lately as a result of the legalization of sports betting we have just talked about? Yeah, what a, what a rich and multifaceted question. Well, first off, I'm, I'm not a top dog. I'm a dog amongst dogs on a team that I, I love. Uh, and it's people like uh, Dr. Breda Barbanel, whom you know well, uh, who's just an absolute genius and absolutely the future uh, and the present. She is one of those researchers who is constantly looking at the latest technologies uh, and currently looking at things like crypto and how that affects the gambling act as a scientist. She's just brilliant. Uh, and then the likes of Jennifer Shatley and Alan Feldman, who were literally the two industry pillars of responsible gaming for decades. One of them at Caesars, the other at the rival MGM. As those two became the, the largest gaming companies, they both had a responsible gaming voice. And now they're both on my team at UNLV. How lucky am I? Uh, we have Becky Harris looking at the regulatory aspects. Becky Harris was, of course, the first ever female chairwoman of the Nevada Gaming Control Board, uh, and in that role really helped Nevada adjust to a new reality, which you uh, point out uh, is fairly recent. So once more, think about that, right? You have scientists, you have industry leaders, you have government experts all working at the same table and saying, okay, what are the complexities? And one of them is certainly advertising, right? Uh, we've seen this on a few occasions in the past where uh, in a variety of different jurisdictions uh, around the world even as, as we completed a study examining this where an inundation of advertising has led to a backlash, right? And we don't need to look very far when we look at other countries to see advertising bans happening uh, with sports betting uh, advertising in a wide variety of ways and not just on you know, Jersey sponsorships, um, but across the board, right? And so I think, once more, I, I, as an academic who studies the gambling world, this is what I would say to those in the gambling world, watch out, right? All you need to do is study other examples. The, uh, all fam the famous uh, Harvard Business School uh, case study comes to mind here, right? Because we have uh, amazing case studies from all over the world that suggest that too much is too much. And where that line is, is difficult to define, but I think we're approaching it, and I think we need to be really careful at this nascent stage. Indeed. I suppose it's very clear to, first of all, address or react to your point about your all-star team, that if the gambling industry ever staged a Pro Bowl game, <laughs> UNLV could easily take one side of the field, yes, and if yes. I were to be given the rather dubious honor of forming the other team, I reckon we might struggle with my motley <laughs> yeah, crew really of funny. other well, folks. As, as I think you probably saw, we had within 24 hours here in Las Vegas, the Pro Bowl and the NHL All-Star Game. 
right across the street from one another, basically. Uh, and the city didn't even flinch, really, right? It also had a massive UFC event and the college all-star game, the East-West Shrine Bowl, happened all in one weekend. And once more, you mentioned earlier that <clears throat> certainly we've seen dramatic changes. The broader incorporation of entertainment and sports entertainment and the world where the place that sports betting stops and sports entertainment starts being blurred, um, you know, those are certainly massive new developments even in Las Vegas. Absolutely. I would say I would say amen to that and we shall hope that come F twenty twenty four we will be able to go to the game you and Bo I wearing his Bo wearing his Raiders jersey and me wearing my Patriots outfit because those uh... teams are bound to be in that game. You've had it you've heard it first. You had it here first, so it's it's bound to happen. If You're gonna wear your Bo... retired uh, Tom Brady jersey. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm struggling to get over that, but I'm, I'm, I'm getting there. Loss. And sorry uh, for your loss. Yeah. Thank you, thank you very much. We shall wish Tom and Giselle and their family all the all the best in all in all ventures they may want to take on going going forward. But if I may going back to your point about advertising, indeed, lessons need to be learned, and I reckon that they are being learned. But if there's one thing you would highlight within that overall context that the operators should either watch out for or do, in my view, ideally together when it comes to reining in that arguably excessive advertising of late, what would that be? I think, and you know, you and you and I have talked about this over the years and we've seen this uh, happen and we've also seen this not happen. With expansion of gambling opportunities comes different and new responsibilities to invoke a, a Spider-Man line. Uh, because we're in a situation now where, of course, we have unprecedented access to betting on sports. And when those things happen, it's time to pay attention to the problem gambling issue. Uh, Keith White, my friend at the National Council, your friend as well at the National Council, is fond of saying that at each point when we see these new legalizations, we need to see new funding streams from the government, from the private sector, hopefully collaborative, in support of problem gambling research, treatment, uh, and all forms of assistance for those who uh, develop a gambling problem. And so I think that best practice is very much out there. And some folks are embracing it and feel, of course, very comfortable uh, with it. And others are sort of proceeding as if that's not even an issue or not even something to, to think about. Um, when once more, one of the lessons in my decades of looking at this industry, that was not an issue that people paid attention to decades ago. But now you cannot thrive without paying attention to it. Uh, as part of a comprehensive, uh, I always say, to be good at leading in this industry, you need to be good at both the walls inward and the walls outward. And in brick-and-mortar casinos, it's easier to define the walls inward skills that you need to run a really good shop, a really good store. But in this industry, uniquely maybe, you also need to be good at the, the walls outward work. You need to be good at talking to the community about who you are, what you're doing, and why what you're doing is helpful, not harmful. Hopefully I will not be speaking out of tone and out of tune if I use another phrase coined by President Reagan, tear down that wall. <laughs> that, yes. in my view, does need to be done here. We're coming to the final to the home stretch of this interview that I've been really, really enjoying. So thanks again for coming onto the show and let me bring it back to Vegas and sports related themes. 
Brushing aside our team allegiances, uh, I believe that everybody loved the great, sadly late John Madden. And you indeed, and you started talking about it already, you've been absolutely instrumental in bringing, if I may put it that way, his Raiders from Oakland to yeah. Las Vegas. What were the biggest obstacles that you were facing throughout that fascinating process? Bringing a football team, I suppose, on the heels of a hockey team, of the Golden Knights, to the Sin City of Las Vegas. What were you up against? Yeah, it was. Uh, it, it felt like we were up against something massive because people don't remember that it was not too long ago, as in like single digits years ago, that Las Vegas could not run its famous What Happens Here Stays Here campaign on the Super Bowl. Um, despite its willingness, of course, Las Vegas would have loved to run that campaign. It was almost perfect for the Super Bowl, right? Um, but Las Vegas had the bad things, right? And specifically gambling. And so the, the Raiders story started in a classroom of mine, and then many, many people uh, sort of took the football and ran with it and got it over the end line. But it was because I had a former Raider in an executive development class who knew that the Raiders were interested in Las Vegas, and he came up to me during a break, and we started to talk about the ways in which the NFL had, like Boston, some legitimate fears some, you know, questionable fears and some fears that just were based in non-reality, right? And so what ultimately we did was we met with the Raiders very early on in a way that was very open about all of the questions that the NFL had. And these constituted the walls that we were up against, right? Uh, questions like, can the integrity of the game be ensured uh, if there is a football team in Las Vegas? Uh, and, of course, sports betting and sports betting with American football in particular has been massive for decades. And so the idea that it would be suddenly and newly d dangerous in Las Vegas was probably something that I felt we could go after with data. And so we did. Um, we had data looking at, again, the, the criminological impacts. We found that if Las Vegas were to join the NFL, again, this was when it was just a pipe dream, uh, Las Vegas would suddenly become the sixth safest city in the NFL, according to FBI crime statistics. Uh, and so once more, a lot of the things that were believed were grounded in mythology. And again, it's Las Vegas' own fault to some degree because we put that mythology out, right? We, we sort of <laughs> wink at this sordid history uh, and sort of embrace uh, it to a significant degree in a way that sometimes we shouldn't be surprised when it sticks in the imagination of the masses but it comes back to haunt us. And that was certainly the case in the NFL. So in putting together a comprehensive report uh, that, as you mentioned, ESPN referenced very kindly, uh, and ultimately seeing the vote be 31 to 1 for the move of the Las Vegas Raiders, uh, I think we won some hearts and minds. Um, and again, there were many, many people that did much more than I did, but it sure was fascinating being exposed to the questions and then being, as an academic, allowed to go after the answers. What an amazing opportunity as a professor. Indeed. Very cool. And at the same time, even more importantly, I would suggest, pretty efficient <laughs> piece of research. Perhaps, hopefully, it's not an off-left-field question. Do you think that we will ever get to see an NBA team hosted in Las Vegas? <laughs> yeah, if I were handicapping this... Uh, I would bet on yes uh, within five years. Um, you know, it's just what we've discovered with the Las Vegas sports teams 
is that the things that used to be the only things that mattered, and it was specifically population size and television markets, are still important. But there are so many other factors and revenue streams that can be uh, created in a city like Las Vegas where you can package it with so much more. So the average sports tourist and sports tourism, incidentally, is one of the next big questions we're going after at the International Gaming Institute. Sports tourists stay longer, right? And they spend more and they turn it into week-long trips. Uh, you know, Disney is famous for trying to turn one day at Disneyland, as you know, as a parent, right, into a whole week at Disneyland, right? That's that's what they do. Las Vegas is pulling a Disney, um, but it's doing so with different kinds of rides. And the coolest new rides at, uh, you know, at Disneyland, they have a new Star Wars ride. Uh, in Las Vegas, we have a new sports team ride, if you will. But it's a ride for grownups, primarily, uh, and certainly a ride that has economic benefits. Well, to convince me to stay in Orlando for more than a week, they might need to fix the humidity and the weather in one way or another, which could be a challenge. Perhaps Bo can help with that <laughs> by means of research. And I'm also delighted to hear all those firsts on this program. So the, yeah. potentially the very first one. You heard it here first, yeah. Super Bowl prediction, and we might have an NBA team come into Las Vegas in five years' time. To wrap this all up, and before I thank Bo for being the great and jolly himself as ever and a host on this show, final two sets of questions, perhaps a bit tricky, but I shall go well, there. Anyway, we're both huge sports fans. So if I may ask, and not too excruciate in a detail, when it comes to soccer, baseball, uh, hockey, and football, as in American football, which players you would select as your all-time favorites Ooh. and why would that be awesome question uh I, and I, I haven't prepped anything on this but i think about it like you do a lot so global football <laughs> um the original ronaldo the brazilian ronaldo uh, i lived in spain when he during the barcelona year where he was the extraterrestrial in the spanish press and that felt entirely appropriate because he did things that were not human that I've never seen before or since. Uh, in baseball, Jackie Robinson. I'm a Dodger fan. <laughs> Jackie is more than a baseball icon. He's a human icon. Uh, I get chills just <laughs> mentioning his name because, of course, it's so much bigger uh, and sociological. And, of course, I'm a sociologist. Uh, what else were we saying? So uh, hockey, okay. I'm a newcomer because I, I actually grew up in the desert, of course, not around ice hockey. I'm not like you from your uh, town that, that turned out all these great hockey players. So it would have to be a golden night, uh, and it would have to be Jonathan Marchessault, who uh, is somebody who made the All-Star team for the first time. He's a little guy that went undrafted. They had to call him back from vacation for this All-Star game, and he just talked the whole time. He was so excited about it. Uh, and as a season ticket holder, he's the one that I always have my eyes on. So I know that's not a Hall of Famer, but that's uh, that's who I have there. Uh, and then uh, American football, uh, Bo Jackson. I mean, it's my name, but I also uh, modeled myself in a obviously massively inferior way uh, after him because as a Raiders running back and ultimately, of course, a two-sport all-star, uh, I wanted to play two sports in college. I had this crazy dream of playing baseball and soccer because this man had done it. And, you know, that gets to some of the diversity work that you and I are working on, Martin, because I love the saying that you, if you can't see it, you can't be it. 
And it wasn't until I could see Bo Jackson, and I know this is a superfluous illustration, uh, playing two sports, until I really thought I may, might be able to do it. But that's really important for, for example, women in leadership, to be able to see women in leadership in order to be that, in order to aspire and see the pathway forward, right? So I suppose, I never thought about it this way, but uh, there, there's a link there to some of the fine work that you and I do on diversity, equity, and inclusion to make sure that you can see it, which is just so, so important when you're dreaming as you and I did when we were young kids chasing a ball around. Indeed, what a, what a great selection. It reminds me of the last week's way too long coverage from Tom Brady's retirement, and they had all these top five all-time sporting greats, oh. and they, they really couldn't agree on all the five. So your choice ranging from a phenomenon, Ronaldo, by a sort of an unexpected choice, if I may use the Boston analogy, Brett Marchand-like, Jonathan <laughs> Marcher, so I'm sure he would, both of them would hate me for saying that. And then, yeah, the real deals, you know, Bo Jackson and Jackie Robinson, I think it's an absolutely amazing selection. To wrap it all this up, I do give, and I'll do the same today, of course, I do give my great guests 60 seconds to convey their messages. It's usually a tricky question because I tend to invite very eloquent people, so 60 seconds could be a challenge, but Bo, here's your 60 seconds to convey any message or messages you choose to the audience of the Save Bad Show, Ooh. please. I would say um, work with, engage, and become a citizen of your local university. I didn't know you were going to ask this, but this has been forming in my head. Uh, universities are unique, very special places. When you walk onto the campuses of Boston, and there are dozens of them, it feels different. And when you look at uh, the United States, for example, uh, the bottom half of the American populace in terms of income, only 15, one five percent of them have a college degree. The top quarter, 80 percent have a college degree. So whether it's engaging it as a student or whether it's engaging it as a lifelong learner who comes back to your local university to learn, to get better, to be smarter than you were yesterday, that's the spirit I always aspired to as an athlete, was to, to practice really hard so that I was better than I was the day before. And I think the same applies to our, our intellectual life, right? And universities are just such special, special places to do that. So, you know, go to your local university, engage, get active, become a citizen of it. That's what I would say. Thanks for that. These words should be truly set, truly and literally set in stone, be it in the Lincoln Memorial. Mount Rushmore, or the future Las Vegas statue of Mr. Bo Bernard. <laughs> and we've been incredibly privileged to have the ultimate rece researcher and all-around great guy, Dr. Bo Bernard, on this show. So thank you very much, Bo. Thanks for coming again. Thanks for having me. This is so fun. I, I could do this all day with you, as you know, but I sure appreciate the opportunity to do so formally. We shall invite you back at some point and not to a distant future. Ladies and gentlemen, thanks for listening. I'm Martin Lechka, and this was the very latest episode of my Save Bet show. Talk to you next time.